Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of our lives. Today is a show I'm going to be doing, be doing this a little bit more often, doing coaching bites, little, little mini topics that we're going to take deep dives on that are going to relate or going to be for a lot of different kinds of people and hopefully very relatable, but also at the same time, really give you a grasp of what I feel on these topics as a coach and also as a runner who deals with the same things that you deal with. And at the end, we're also going to do the five shoe questions. It's going to be for me this time. It's presented by Running Warehouse. Five shoe questions, and I'm going to provide you with my answers for those questions that I've been uh, giving everyone else over the past month. And I'm really excited for that. So today's Coaching Bites is going to be about starting a race. So all the steps preceding the start of the race and, and basically the first you know, 10% to 20% of the effort. So this can be for a variety of different races, okay? We're talking from 5K all the way up, even potentially even shorter than a 5K, to be honest with you. And I think some of these principles, um, well, you might not want to copy and paste like a 5K strategy for a marathon. I think that there are certain underlying principles here that you can adjust for each effort. So if you basically say, hey, this is what I do for a 5K, extrapolate it out for a half marathon. I think a lot of that makes sense. And I think ultimately these principles aren't about the distance. It's more about self-regulation and making sure that you're putting yourself in the best position to succeed. And now that the temperatures have warmed up and we're going to be seeing a lot of people entering a lot more races, like the 5K, 10K season, the summer months, they're all going to be right around the corner. Uh, Or maybe you're listening to this, you know, I'm recording this on May 25th. You might be listening to this on August 25th for all I know. So maybe you're already knee deep in those endeavors. And that is exactly why we're doing this episode. Because this is basically the kind of conversations I have with my athletes all the time. And I figured, Hey, why don't I present it to uh, everyone who listens to this show and hopefully it helps you. And if you're looking for a coach, you can always reach out to me. Uh, I do love doing that. It's uh, basically I have two jobs. I'm a podcaster and a running coach, and it certainly is a lot of fun to do both. So let's talk about pre-race tips and strategies. Okay. First things first is the warm up. Okay. And I think that this is important, not merely for 5Ks, but also for marathons. I think, you know, at first I was someone who, from a marathon um, preparation standpoint, especially for people who were running in the four hour range and up where this was going to be more of a, an basically like basically extending their easy run to the marathon distance, right? For those people, oftentimes I would say, Hey, it's not the biggest thing to warm up for this race, right? Like it's, it's, you're going to ease into the effort anyway. We don't want to accumulate more miles on the day. We want to make sure that you feel good at the beginning and you're ready to go. And it's going to be more about like energy consumption more than anything for a lot of people in that category. And I've been in that category many times in my own life. And that's how I approached it. I'm feeling a little differently now. Um, I think ultimately, no matter the distance, doing a warm-up is going to help because it gets basically gets the blood flowing. Obviously, it gets you warm up just from your muscles and perspective from your muscles, but also just your respiratory perspective. Uh, In addition to that, cardiovascularly, there's research that's come out that just shows like the, the, the ability to process and shuttle lactate begins in that first 10 to 20 minutes. So if you get that out of the way right from the beginning, that you're, you're basically primed to, to get into the race and really make it happen. Even if you're easing into it, which is going to be something that we're going to talk about later, but, you know, kind of that first 10 to 20 minutes, your body's getting used to processing that lactate. So getting that out of the way in the warm up is a big deal. So what does that mean exactly? Well, f- for the most part, it's two easy miles. So what I tell people is, hey, roughly 40 minutes before the race, you know, 40, 45 minutes, depending how long it takes you to run two miles. We're talking about easy effort, right? We're talking zone one, maybe low zone two. 
you know, conversational pace to the point where like you could be like, if you say you have like a Bluetooth headset on, you could be having a phone call with somebody super easy, right? You're running with friends and you specifically are talking the entire time. That's the kind of effort we're talking about. Really, it's just about priming the body so that again, you're beginning that lactate shuttle, that lactate shuttling mechanism. Uh, You're getting used to the movement and Really, that's about it, right? It's not about extending up to race pace or anything like that. This is just making sure that your body is ready for movement, okay? So that's two miles, roughly 40, 45 minutes before the race. And I think a key thing here, especially if you haven't run on a race course before, is to travel the first mile of the course, turn around, and then come back. Now, you're not going to be able to do this on every race course. I understand that. But on some courses that you're able to do that, This is a great way of just getting the lay of the land, understanding where you're going to be running, just so it's just another thing to check off the list in terms of like, there's going to be so much things that are unsure in the beginning of a race, right? You're going to have anxiety. You're going to be nervous. You're going to have that, those, the anxiety side and the excitement side all meshing together. You don't want to be thinking about like, well, where am I going? Or these are new surroundings. You can take that piece out of it. It is nice, right? I think we've all experienced, especially like we're driving a car, right? If you're driving somewhere new, the ride feels longer than if you're driving somewhere you've been before. It's just because you're not like hyper aware of all the surroundings all the time. You're just, you can kind of go on autopilot a little bit sooner and just kind of enjoy the ride. And that's, you know, kind of a nice place to be when you're thinking about managing your race day prep. So you want to kind of go one mile out, turn around, come one mile back. That's a great feeling. Also, this is and this is going to tease into a little bit later, but this also will allow you to get a lay of the land from a landmark perspective. And especially for people who are running 5Ks, what I tell them is make sure that basically you start your watch, you go, you, you do your, your mile out, but make sure you get a landmark a quarter of the mile into the run. Okay, so maybe it's a church or a school or a road. You're like, hey, that's Humboldt Drive or whatever. Wherever you can find a landmark at a quarter mile, you want to make sure you have that imprint on your mind so you can use that for later. We'll talk about why in a second. Okay, and then when you come back, do a couple light drills. Right? Some of your, your high knees, your butt kicks, stuff like that. Again, I shouldn't say that right now. You're going to come back. You're going to relax. You're going to try to stay cool. Again, the, the, the temperatures are starting to heat up. Find a nice shady spot. If it means you're sitting down on the grass somewhere nice, all that is positive. Okay. Now, this is the time between your two-mile easy run and the start of the race. This is usually the time where anxieties start to percolate. Okay. And this is part of the, the know thyself part of the call where you really have to figure out what is the best way for you to manage your anxieties letting you to a race. Again, some of these, your races you might do are just for fun, no big deal. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, hey, you're going out there for race day because you want to race to the best of your potential on that day. Now, that's a big effort and it's daunting and you know it's going to hurt and you know it's going to be a little little painful maybe uh you're certainly going to be redlining at the at the end and all of that stuff and the expectation of it all right you want to do well and you're wishing the best for yourself which means you're also going to potentially have some anxiety there so figuring out what you need to do in that roughly 20 minutes after your 2 mile easy to to really keep your mind at ease also, you want to limit the emotional stress and mental stress that you're going through because that can sap your energy. And I 
I would talk about this all the time when I used to coach college basketball. We'd have some of our athletes would go out there, like during layup lines, if you know basketball, you go out there and you shoot layups for 20 minutes before the game. And a lot of times when people would have that nervous energy, they'd be flying around in layup lines, be going 100 miles an hour. It's like, hey, I I think it's great that you're working hard, but like now is not the time for that. Like that's that's what you do in practice. Right now, you're just warming up for the game. And you want to keep that energy, right? You want to you want to save it. And same thing pre-race. Okay. So figuring out the kind of person you are, if you are someone who, if you get in your own head before a race and it's just not where you want to be, and that's where the negativity can arise and the second guessing and the doubt, well, then you need to kind of maybe mosey on over, talk to some people. Um, again, just, just engage in some, some fun conversations. Even if you don't know anybody, just go out to some people and just start asking like fun questions. Like, Hey, have you done this race before? Do you, you know, do you do a lot of training runs over here? Have you done, do you know about the, the race course? Like, do you have any friends who are going to be here? Like, what are the fun running groups around here? Right? Like it's so easy. Runners love talking about running as, as evidenced by every single episode of the rambling runner podcast. Just get outside of yourself. Or maybe it means just kind of disengaging from people and having that calm, meditative moment, listening to your music. Do that, right? This is the know thyself portion of the call, like I said. So figuring out what you can do to stay calm and relax for 20 minutes. Also stay cool, okay? You don't want to be overheating here. Just want to relax. Great, okay? Then roughly five to 10 minutes before the race, you want to kind of start easing into some into some drills, okay? Some high knees, some butt kicks, Maybe some single leg squat, single leg squats, or some reverse lunges as well. Um, I like doing the slow side to side. Um, this looks like a defensive stance in basketball. You're just kind of like moving slowly through like a defensive stance. It kind of engages the glutes. We all know at this point, glute activation, right? It's like the common term in running now, uh, but it is helpful for sure. Um, I think reverse lunges are also great for this. Um, and then also right before the start, a lot of races will do like this in the national anthem before the race or stuff like that. Um, right before that moment. I think getting in four by, you know, 15 to 20 second strides. These are light strides. These are not, you know, maybe something you do at the end of a, a run where you're really trying to like step on the gas and see how fast you can go and how much how much power you can make. It's not those kind of strides. We're talking race pace, right? So if you're running a 5K or 10K, we're talking 5K or 10K pace here. If you're running a marathon, maybe you're doing it at half marathon effort, but not a whole lot faster than you're going to want to run at the beginning of the race, right? You don't want to prime yourself in these strides to run faster than you want to start the race. That's key because starting the race in a calm and relaxed manner is a integral part of this process. And you want to make sure that your strides are setting yourself up for success and not failure. So you want, again, to get the, get the power going in your legs, get the huffing and puffing going in your lungs, but you don't want to prime your body to go faster then it, you want to go at the start of the race. So you really want to kind of like thread that needle a little bit. So that's what I'm talking about from a physical perspective, getting ready for the race. All right, let's take a look. I got, I got all my notes here to make sure that I'm hitting all the points that I want to get to. Okay, now let's talk about making sure that you're starting out controlled, okay? This is so important and we all know this. And this is something that... Um, now that I think we, we had to see during the pandemic when a lot of people were going out and doing virtual racing, one of the things that was um, common for people who would set PRs at certain distances was that they were able to be much more economical and relaxed and efficient in the, their starts of their races. I saw this with my athletes over and over again. There was a couple of reasons for this. First of all, they were doing on a route that they knew. 
Okay, so they might have been doing a route, like a route that they've run thousands of times potentially, right? So they knew that they knew the route perfectly, and they knew how fast they should be, you know, kind of proceeding down that road, right? Just like when you're driving a car, you probably know how fast you're driving without looking down at, at the uh, speedometer. It's the same thing with running. Secondly, the crowd, the, the, not the crowd, the other runners. This is a, an enormous part of the process, okay? And the fact of the matter is, is that the overwhelming majority of runners go out too fast, okay? So you need to be prepared not to be caught in the tide of this, right? It's just like if you're going out in the ocean, right? Like if you, you sit there, you're, you're body surfing, the tide brings you in, you don't have to do any effort. That's how it can feel some of these starting lines where you're going to be, say you're tucked in around people that you feel like, hey, I know that person, I know that person, we're roughly the same ability, I'm going to start near them. That makes perfectly logical sense except for the fact that at a lot of these races, a lot of people are going to go out too fast. Maybe not the two people you identified on your right, left, but that, but you know, dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of other people will go out too fast. I mean, we've all seen like the stereotypical portion, stereotypical like idea of this is like, right. The middle schooler who goes up to like the beginning of the start line and like stands like right, like front and center of the start line and just like takes off at being a 5k, right. We've all seen this and it's, um, you know, you said that you kind of giggle just giggle to yourself because you're like, all right, like unless this person's like a future All-American, they're probably going to get passed by like hundreds of people by the, before they reach the first mile. Because again, young kids don't know how to pace themselves. They just go out hard and they blast it, which is fun and endearing, but not a great race strategy for an adult. So you need to make sure you're positioning yourself in the field so that you don't get caught up in a wave. Okay. I have like a great story for this. Like my own anecdote on this is I was doing the Gatsby days 5k here in Rhode Island. Uh, I think it was five years ago. Um, and I was very, I was very fit for that race. I was really excited. And this is a Rhode Island race. It's very, very popular. Maybe it's one of the biggest races in Rhode Island. Um, especially, especially one of the biggest 5ks, no question about it. And I knew a lot of people at that starting line a lot, but I was like, all right, I want to make sure that I don't go out too fast. So I purposely put myself maybe two or three rows back than I normally would be, okay? A little conservative, and I thought I'd be fine right there. I go out, and I have people passing me right and left, right and left. People pass me over and over and over again. If you look at my data from that race, my first mile, I went out way too fast. Despite the fact I was getting passed by dozens of people who I ultimately ended up passing, okay? So even though I went in thinking I'm going to run conservatively in the beginning, I then positioned myself a little bit farther back. I still went out too fast, even with those, you know, safeguards that I'm trying to put in. And it just reminds me like, hey, you just need to make sure you're putting yourself farther back in the field than maybe you would assume. Again, not too far back. You don't need to be extreme about this, but I think it's really helpful to make sure you don't get caught in the wash of these races, okay? Now, another way of doing this is what I mentioned before on your warm up finding that quarter mile mark okay this is a big thing so you got your watch get your whether it's a gps watch or a timex it doesn't matter for this okay you get your watch you're ready as soon as you pass the start line you press start right we all know this you want to put it on elapsed time okay basically just like if you had a normal timex watch from 1996 right total time elapsed okay you want that to be the the setting and then you want, basically, you want to look out for that quarter mile mark and see how much time has passed. Okay, we don't want to look at the setting on our GPS watch that says, this is your current pace. It's not. It just isn't. Okay, you can't be 
uh, I guess you, you can't just like believe everything your watch tells you. Okay. And this is one of the ones, this is one of the metrics that isn't that reliable. Okay. So you want to look at elapsed time after quarter mile. All right. I'm going to use round numbers here. Let's say you're out there and you want to break 25 minutes in a 5k. And the plan is to basically run eight minute miles. And then, you know, the point one is going to be roughly 45 seconds. And hopefully you, have, you run the tangents. Well, boom, sub 25, right? So first quarter mile, you're thinking, okay, I don't want to run this first quarter mile any faster than two minutes, right? I want my last quarter mile to be faster than my first quarter mile. So I don't want to go any faster than two minutes. And ideally I want to be around 205 or 203 or something like that. This is why you want to get that landmark going, okay? You got your, your watch, you press start, on it, you have your setting on elapsed time, right? You run that first quarter mile and you can look right at your watch and see exactly how, what, exactly what the time is at the quarter mile mark, just like as if you were doing a track workout, okay? That's why you have to picture it, okay? So that way you can look in real time, how long did it take me to run a quarter mile, okay? You look at, the, you look at your watch and maybe it says 158, all right? Pretty close, but a little too little too quick. Okay, so you can just dial it back just a tiny notch. Or maybe it says 207, and you're like, okay, nice. We're not conservative. I can kind of pick it up a tiny bit, or maybe I have a downhill coming up, and I can like kind of coast down that. You can make real-time adjustments with, with, with stats and metrics that are important, not the fake metric of like, this is your current pace. It's like, yeah, that's not... That's not a great metric, okay? It's just like for the same reason, if you're doing like one minute on, one minute off, the GPS metrics around that aren't great either for the same reason, okay? Again, these watches are great, but you have to know, but they're tools, right? You have to know what they're good at and what they're not good at. And, you know, this these short little bursts of, um, of pacing, isn't they're not great for that, okay? So that's a little, little um, tip on how to make sure that you're practicing or that, that, you're, that you're pacing yourself well early in the race so that you're setting yourself up for success. Hey folks, are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? Well, it's time to give you can a try. You can energy, energy powders, gels, and bars utilize steady release carbs instead of sugar. So you don't feel the highs and lows in energy. I use a scoop of you can powder every single morning as part of my breakfast also the edge energy gels oh my gosh they are the best they have that consistent fuel they also taste fantastic and they're almost like a liquid gel they go down so smooth without any lingering aftertaste in your mouth the top marathoners in the u.s emily sisson kira damato sarah hall emma bates all rely on you can to fuel their training and they're raising emma fueled her fifth place finish at boston with one edge energy gel every 5k and felt strong throughout the race without experiencing any GI distress. You can't award-winning edge energy gels just last longer than other gels and provides a more consistent feeling of energy all with zero sugar. Here's your chance because you can is offering rambling runner listeners an exclusive chance to try six energy samples for free. So six energy gel edge samples for free. All you pay is the shipping cost. Head over to youcan.co forward slash rambling to to claim this exclusive offer. That link is in the show notes. That's youcan.co forward slash rambling for the edge energy gel offer. Also, if you're already a fan of Ucan and you just want to save 20% on all their products, then just use ramble, code rambling at checkout to do just that. I also want to give a shout out to Running Warehouse. I love Running Warehouse. It's the spot where I get all of my running gear online. They have all of the new releases. They have unbelievable sales. 
They have fantastic reviews on all the shoes and they have all the updated stats and the information, how a shoe fits. Is it too, is it really wide? Is it a little bit too long? Do you need to size up, size down? They have all the information that you would need. They're getting better all the time. And I just can't recommend it highly enough. I've been a huge proponent of Running Warehouse for many years. It's a website that I literally check every day, maybe to my wife's dismay, but it's absolutely fantastic. You can go check out Running Warehouse by using the link in the show notes. That is an affiliate link, which doesn't mean anything for you. It doesn't change the pricing at all, but it does help the show. So go use that link in the show. Also, as you may know, every single episode that I'm doing an interview, I always do my five shoe questions sponsored by Running Warehouse. And that's exactly what we did today. Also, you can check all those out over on YouTube as well at the Rambling Runner YouTube channel. Talked about the, um, the anxiety that can be around race day and it can be tough, right? And we also want to make sure that we're planning out our day uh, accordingly. We're getting there in plenty of time. Um, but at the same time, sometimes things go wrong and we need to make sure that we don't have like this doom cycle of like something goes wrong and then we obsess about it and then we get anxiety around it. And then it, all of a sudden it's this negative cycle of now like just more negativity, more negativity that is spurred on by the previous negativity or, or you know, legitimately things that you didn't want to have happen that did happen. Right. And I'm going to talk about two of my athletes that experienced this and luckily were able to overcome it. One of my, one of my athletes, Richard recently ran a half marathon and he was running, it was for him, it was a race that wasn't near him. And, you know, he goes up to this race and <laughs> stays in a hotel and the, you know, he said the whole thing planned out and he's ready. He's got, he's, he's perfectly ready for the race. We talked the night before all this stuff. He's ready for this race. And the morning of the half marathon, it's an extremely popular race up in the Pacific Northwest. And he, you know, he wakes up, does his pre-race stuff, gets the gear on. All right, time to go to the race. Gets up his, um, his Uber app to, to get to the race. And all of a sudden he realizes that everyone else is trying to get an Uber too. and all of a sudden he's cutting it really close and he's basically getting to the race, like at the time the race starts, right? The exact thing that so many of us fear, right? You get to the race late. Oh my God, this is a disaster. But it wasn't. He was able to keep a calm mind, keep a good head on his shoulders and was actually able to have a really good race. Did he have the race, the perfect race that he wanted? No, but it didn't, it wasn't a disaster. Like he'd be able to extract a lot of great stuff. The same thing happened to another one of my runners, Carell, who had a, um, a 5K, um, I think it was a 5K or 10K, right near his house. This was two months ago. He was actually the opposite of Richard. He actually rode his bike to the race and it took him longer than he expected. He normally doesn't do that sort of thing. He was like, yeah, it'll be my warm up. I'll just ride my bike to the race. And he was really fit. And then he got there. Basically, it was the exact opposite. He just like mistimed it. Again, this is a former military man who like you, the last person on my entire coaching list, I would expect like to be late to a race. Um, he's just a really thoughtful guy who plans ahead. It just took him longer to ride to the ride of the course than he expected on his bike. And all of a sudden, the same thing. He's getting there like just as the race is about to start. And he ran incredibly well. And by, the, the, you can't extrapolate like, hey, here's how, here's how to fail properly. But the, the idea here is just because something doesn't go well doesn't doom your race. And in fact, if you can pull yourself, you know, and, and create a positive side of it, you know, then I think it's, it's, it really can be kind of like a fun story you tell afterwards instead of like, oh my God, like, can you believe this? And then all of a sudden it's just like, 
something that you worry about for for weeks and you know it just it, it can be such a bummer and that instead it's like it's a kind of a funny story leading to a pretty good race result which is a really fun thing to have happen okay and i think that's that's an important thing um so last thing about nutrition again i'm not a um you know i'm not certified in this but i will say Make sure that you're eating the morning of a race. Make sure you're eating at the morning of a race. Make sure you're eating at the morning at the morning of a race. I think having a Gatorade or something like that an hour before is also really helpful. Uh, that way you're hydrating and you're getting a little bit of sodium and a little bit of uh, of sugar as well. And if it's a longer race, so it's a race at like an hour and a half or longer. I advise my athletes to take a gel at the starting line right before the race, just so they're primed and ready to go. Um, and then you can take them again every 20 to 30 minutes as they progress through the race. But if it's longer than an hour and a half, I do expect, I do tell my athletes that they probably should take a gel at the start. Now, we're getting into five shoe questions presented by Running Warehouse. And this, this week, it's with me. So my favorite daily trainer right now is, and this is not what I was expecting to say, because for a while, I didn't even think this was a daily trainer, but it is, and it's so versatile, and you can use it for everything, and I just love this shoe. It is the Asics Super Blast. This shoe, I'm going to show right here on the picture, this shoe is amazing. It really is. It has, this is the, my first, like, maximal, hyper-maximal <laughs> stacked, easy, um, basically easy day shoe, but it can be used for everything. This, this, Flight Foam Blast, I'm sorry, this Flight Foam Turbo, which they see in all of the Asics racers, um, has a huge stack on here, no plate underneath it. You get the Fresh Foam Blast Plus with a little bit of bounce to it. The normal kind of like outsole that you see in the Nova Blast with a little bit less of a trampoline effect in a much wider base than you see in the Nova Blast. Um, and then this shoe, it just it's really comfortable. It's a little firm, but it does break in. And I just feel like this shoe is good at any speed. It's just good at any speed. It's like, it's a good, the slow cruiser. Um, I took this on a progression 10 mile run earlier this week. The faster I went, the better it felt. But the same thing is, it felt really good at easy paces too. I think this shoe can do everything except for recovery runs. I think for me, it's probably a little too firm for recovery runs. But if like, I just needed one shoe, this would be the shoe. In fact, if I was running a marathon, and carbon plated shoes didn't work for me, and a lot of them don't, I would have no problem running a marathon in this shoe. I think it's great, and it's not even that heavy. There's some shoes that you see with this maximal stack and plus 40 stack that is, you know, they can be a little heavier. This isn't one of them, all right? The top, um, it's not their um, meta speed um, upper that you see on some of the other other shoes. Also, you see it on the Magic Speed 3 that's coming out next month. Um, but it's thin, it's light, it's kind of tactile feeling but it gives me a good lockdown. The tongue is perfect. It's thin, but has pads right where you want it. This shoe is just, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's pricey, but it's phenomenal. I will say that, and I can tell it's gonna be durable. That is for sure. Now, my favorite race day shoe, and this one I've had for a while, and I still love it to death. It is the Saucony Pro 3. Saucony Pro 3, this shoe, for me, it does it all. Again, so it's, it's got the carbon plate. It's pretty firm. Normally, I don't like shoes that are this firm with the carbon plate, but it's so bouncy. I'll tell you what, this midsole is absolutely phenomenal. It really creates that bounce, which is what I really like. I like bouncy super shoes, okay? Some people, like I've had like the, I just I just talked about Asics, how much I love this shoe, but I'm not the biggest fan of the Asics Metaspeed Sky because it's just too firm for me. This shoe is like, it was super responsive and great for some people. I like bounciness and that's what this shoe provides. This midsole is so bouncy that the firmness of the carbon plate 
doesn't bother me too much, even if I'm running my marathon pace, which is probably slower than a lot of people's marathon pace. I think this shoe can still roll for me at a marathon or easy effort, which some super shoes just aren't that comfortable at. All right, the upper is super light. The shoe is super light. The um, the width, especially in the forefoot, is it's very wide, creating a stable platform. The outsole is really durable. I have easily over 150 miles in this shoe, and it's fine. That's the thing about this, these shoes is that they are usually pretty expensive, but the durability of this one is phenomenal, and I can race in it at every distance. And that's the other thing too. Some carbon-plated shoes are better for me at certain distances, um, like say like the Nike Vaporfly. I can't wear that in a marathon because the upper doesn't agree with me. This one, I could wear it for a mile all the way to a marathon. I've worn it in a marathon, and it was incredibly comfortable, and I really, really liked it. So question number three, what was the first running shoe that I fell in love with? Oh, that's easy. It was the first real running shoe I ever purchased, or I'd say it was purchased for me because I was in middle school. It was the Brooks Adrenaline. I think it might've been maybe the first or second version. I think they're like in like the low 20s, 21, 22, something like that. So it might've been one of the first Brooks Adrenaline ever. I loved that shoe. I had some heel problems as a kid and it helped me so much. I really, really liked it. I was a big fan of that shoe. The shoe that I really wanted to like that I just couldn't get on with, unfortunately, it was the Adidas Adios Pro 2. I loved that shoe my first run. First run I ever wore it on, I was like, oh my God, this is my favorite shoe of all time. I love the Lightstreak Pro midsole. It was great. And then the more I wore it, as it broke in, the energy rods that they have instead of the plate, I could feel it on my right foot. So underneath my big toe on my right foot, I could feel the energy rod and I just couldn't run in it. And I remember I took it for a long run. I had to stop every two miles because it just was bothering my foot. And that was the last time I could wear it. And it went from my favorite shoe to a shoe I couldn't wear. And it was too bad because I love that midsole more than anything. I love the Lightstrike Pro. But ultimately, the energy ride just hit my right foot in the wrong spot, which is funny because my left foot was fine. No issues at all with my left foot. But my right foot, I just couldn't do it. So that was a bummer. Last question. I will say we have uh, links to all of these shoes in the um, the show notes to either the podcast or the YouTube clip uh, on YouTube. Again, these are these, I should say, these links are affiliate links to Running Warehouse, uh, which doesn't mean anything to you, but it does help out, help out the show and the channel. Uh, the last one, if the last question I provide every week, which is if money was no object, which shoe would you buy in 2023? I got two choices. I couldn't decide. I want the Endorphin Elite. Okay, so basically the big brother. Of this puppy, I know a lot of people really like it. So I do want to try that shoe. That is for sure. I guess the other one is the Mizuno Wave Rebellion Pro. That one looks absolutely wild. And I don't know if I like it or not, but I just want to try it because it just does seem absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't done so already, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you so much. Go hit the like button and subscribe. I really appreciate it. Have a great day and happy running.